This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey baddies. Hey, it's Elizabeth and Alex. Welcome to the True Beauty Brooklyn podcast. Welcome. If this is your first time listening to the show, Alex and I are estheticians in Brooklyn, New York, and we get to see you here every Friday to teach you everything that we know about beauty and skincare while learning a thing or two from our friends and guest experts that come to hang. And today we're speaking with an incredible artist, an activist. She's also a fashion designer, Karina Emmerich, and she's the owner of Emmy Studios. Emmy Studios is a New York-based clothing and accessory brand that Karina built in Brooklyn, which we love because we live in Brooklyn. She built it on the backbone of expression, art, and culture, leading the charge to embrace art and design as one and weaving it into her brand history. Uh, Originally from the Pacific Northwest, her colorful work is known to reflect her patrilineal indigenous heritage from the Coast Salish Territory, Poyalup tribe, with a strong focus on social and climate justice while speaking out about industry responsibility and accountability. Emmerich works to expose and dismantle systems of oppression and exploitation in the fashion industry to challenge colonial ways of thinking. And boy, does she do that. You all are going to fucking love her. Yeah, she's incredible. She's a special advisor for the Slow Factory Foundation and is a speaker and panelist at global conferences discussing slow fashion, sustainability, dismantling white supremacy, environmental racism, climate and social justice. She just does it all. She also works as a community (laughs) organizer within the Brooklyn based Indigenous Kinship Collective, a community of indigenous women, femmes and gender nonconforming people who gather on Lenape land to honor each other and their relatives through art direct action, education, and representation. And everything that she represents, she does it to the max. And I respect her so much for it. Yeah, I think that this is a really beautiful example of somebody who lives their truth and is so powerfully herself and really just takes who she is and weaves it into all aspects of, you know, the gifts that she gives to the world and all of these different creative endeavors. And I, mm-hmm. I've been honestly admiring um, Karina from afar on the internets for like forever. And I just thought that she was such a dope woman who's after my own heart. Y'all know that I love bitches who just know who the fuck they are and know what they want in life and are out there getting it. And she's not only a fashion designer, but she is a incredible fashion designer that's really, you know, starting to get the attention of everybody in the fashion world. She was included in the Met 
at the Metropolitan Museum of Art for their exhibition called Fashion and American Lexicon. So that was running all of this past year. And in it, they included all of the quote unquote great fashion designers of America. And she was the only indigenous designer that was included. But also she was included at the Met. That's incredible. I know a mm-hmm. lot of really talented artists and I don't know anybody who's ever been in the Met. So that's fucking dope. Um, not only that, but she also took her time you know, her moment in the Met, not just to show up, but to fucking show up. And the uh, outfit that she chose to show really represented, yes, her indigenous culture, but also the genocide of her people and the aspects of colonization that is uncomfortable, but needs to be spoken about. So to be able to do all of those things within one piece of garment and then share that with the world is such an incredible thing. And then she comes and like told us all about it. Yeah, she's no, fucking she's dope as shit. Really awesome. And you know, this is like, yes, this is one of our episodes that's going to be a little bit heavier. But I just think that in the time where it's so easy to follow, it's so easy to just go online and follow these different trends, and it's really difficult to be yourself. But the most beautiful things come from self-expression. The most beautiful things and the most interesting things. And the way to be a leader is to be yourself. And I mean, I love fashion. I think that I talk about it any moment that anybody will listen. And that's one of the reasons that I love it is that the expressionism and the individuality within ways of dress is awesome. And that's why we had this episode, because we're here for big upping y'all in every way that we can and really expressing how important it is to be your own self, to be beautiful in your own fucking way. And through wardrobe is one of the incredible ways that you can do it. And if we can tie in some social justice, bitch, you know, we're going to do that. And so we did it. I love that. I love what you just said. (laughs) But she deserves all of that. Like she really, we interview a lot of cool people. She is very, definitely up there. Definitely fucking up there. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, guys, please, our beauty baddies, enjoy our conversation with the fucking incredible Karina Emmerich, the owner of MA Studios. Enjoy. Enjoy, guys. I'm actually going to introduce myself in Lushutzid, um, which is our language. So, hot shlakheo. Um, Frank Emmerich Tidstat a Tid Bod, Spoilapapsh Tid Bod, Deborah Morris Tidstat a Tidskoy, Pasta Tidskoy, Asafel Alta Lenape Hoking. Um, so I just wanted to introduce myself in uh, Lushutzid, uh, and I'll translate it. My name is Karina Emmerich. I am uh, Puyallup. My father is Frank Emmerich, who is Puyallup, and my mom is Deborah Morris, who is white. Um, and I currently live in Lenape Hoking, also uh, recognized as New York City. And it's just really important for me to introduce myself in my language because that's something that was taken away from us and outlawed and that our people were killed for. So um, as you may know, I'm a big fan of uh, insubordination. So I love speaking my language on public platforms to just prove that it is not dead and that we're bringing it back. Thank you for introducing yourself in your native language. And that was so beautiful. Thank you so much. Really well. Thanks. 
I'm also an artist and a fashion designer. <laughs> yes, I was going to say, who are you? Tell us more. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now we're really intrigued. Um, so I am indigenous uh, uh, on my father's side. On my mother's side, I'm white. Um, so I'm mixed and uh, I am an artist and fashion designer. I, uh, I'm also a community organizer, maker, thinker, critical analyst. Um, I usually say that my work exists at the center of aesthetics and education. Um, but, you know, fashion is my medium. Um, and so I think that's what I'm most well known for. Um, yeah, so I run a, a company called Emmy Studio. Um, and we are actually gearing up for New York Fashion Week right now after presenting two shows, one in Toronto at Indigenous Fashion Arts Festival and one at um, the Santa Fe Indian Market at their Centennial Gala event. So uh, it's been really busy uh, for us Indigenous designers, but uh, that's a really good thing. Yes, that's incredible. I wasn't aware of the other Indigenous uh, Fashion Weeks that had been going on. Would you mind telling us a little bit about that? Yeah, so uh, the first one in, I did in June is run by Sage Paul, who's just a complete powerhouse um, native uh, matriarch that's like so dope. And she runs Indigenous Fashion Arts, which is an all-encompassing uh, panel events, uh, fashion shows, art shows, um, all different things, music. Um, it's becoming an absolutely incredible event up in Toronto, Canada. And um, the other one is Santa Fe Indian Market. So we just celebrated the centennial. So it's 100 years of the Santa Fe Indian Market um, down in Santa Fe. And uh, it's one of the biggest vendor markets. Um, and the fashion show has been going on for a few years now and has become the uh, most popular event of the entire market weekend. Um, so it's been, uh, yeah, it's just so incredible to get invited. It's such an honor to be invited to these things to show my work. I think that also our friend from Ashi Beauty was there. Oh, yeah. We've worked together before. Oh, no way. Yeah, yeah she's oh, yeah. incredible. Well, I love her. <laughs> the best. Uh, yeah, we have a pretty small community, so we're all really tight. <laughs> yes, I love I think actually we're going to have her back on our show next month. I think she's going to be back in New York. That's that's awesome. Yeah. So um, I found out about you because, well, actually, I first learned about you, I think, through the Slow Factory. And then um, for some reason, you started following us on Instagram and I felt so seen. I was like, oh, my God, is this mean that we're like, making it this really fucking dope? I feel like I remember you telling us. Me. <laughs> yeah, That's I did. So <laughs> yeah. Um, but also because, you know, I love fashion. I love makers. I love creators. I love women who are just doing things and who are not afraid, who are unapologetic and who are also able to weave social justice through their work. And I see all of that in you. So I love, love, love that. But also you were included in the Met, um, the Met's exhibit, American Lexicon. Yeah. In America, Lexicon of Fashion is the title of the exhibit. Yes. And this was one is it was one of the longest running fashion exhibits at the Met, I think, ever. But two is they really highlighted the great American fashion designers of our time, yourself included, which is huge, yeah. huge. If people don't know what the Met is. The Met is the Metropolitan <laughs> Museum of Art in New York City. It's one of the greatest art institutions of our nation, of the world, really. And I just think that that's so incredible that you were included in that. Would you can you kind of Talk to us a little bit about what that looks like for you and the garments specifically that you uh, included in the show. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I, it was a really shocking ask. I got an email. Um, it was actually on my birthday, which is so funny. Um, awesome. I got an email from the Met uh, asking to pull a piece that I had online, which was a piece that I had designed um, from uh, kind of a knockoff of the Hudson Bay Company fabrics. Um, so it's a wool. It's a complete polychrome wool piece. Um, I work really, really focused in sustainability. So that's one of the reasons that the piece was pulled specifically for this um, show. Um, also to kind of spotlight my familial heritage with the Hudson Bay Company and that impact on um, America and, well, North American colonialism. Um, so the piece I just, I had in was a jacket and skirt combo. Um, I had a red button sewn as the bottom button to just symbolize um you know, all the violence that was perpetuated by the Hudson's Bay Company. Uh, my four times uh, grandfather, great-grandfather was a canoe middleman for the Hudson's Bay Company. Um, so it's the reason that my family ended up coming from the East Coast to the West Coast four generations ago, where my family still resides today. And I find it very interesting that I am comfortable here on the East Coast now. I've been living in New York for 13 years. So, yeah, the piece was basically just to spotlight the, you know, colonial violence at the Hudson's Bay Company um, mm -hmm. and also spotlight my mission in sustainability. Yeah, I don't know. It, it was like still shocking. The show just closed, too. So it's yeah. wild. Just so the listeners have an idea, can you talk to us a little bit about the the Hudson's Bay Company and what their impact was in colonization. Yeah, Hudson's Bay Company was the biggest perpetuator of exploitation of labor amongst indigenous people, uh, as well as colonialism um, and just uh, colonial violence across a lot of nations. Uh, they also just basically did a land grab and stole indigenous land and gave it to the crown. So it's a really, really can I curse on here? Of course. Of course. Yes. Okay. We encourage okay. cursing. <laughs> okay. I, I usually curse. <laughs> it's a really fucked up history. And um, they also just uh, monopolized like the majority of the supplies. They would exploit trade at the forts as well. Like, uh, you know, a European dude could go in and get like a gun for like three pelts where like an indigenous person would come in on their own land and they would charge them like three times as much or like 300 times as much depending on how mm. they wanted to so they were completely in control um they basically just like changed the entire landscape uh through decimating our animal populations uh, mm. in my area where Jesus. where my people are from we uh mink is a big part of our creation story and there are no more mink in our area um mm. And this is all because of, of colonialism. It's an ongoing thing. It's not something that happened way back then. I think it's it needs to be known that uh, we are currently fighting occupation every single day. So that's like a big part of like what I try to talk about in the fashion industry. And I would love to write like a book one day about the impacts of colonialism and fashion mm -hmm. from my family's perspective. Um I think that's something that I will do one day. So then, so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I love this. And especially, you know, we learn a lot about the Industrial Revolution in this country, but we don't really learn so much about like all of the things that led up to that, specifically the fur trade. And within fashion, well, 
specifically within my own fashion history studies, we did learn about that. And this is how so many of these big names like the Astors, the Waldorfs, these Mm. huge uh, names before the oil boom was really in fur trapping in this country. Soft gold is what they would call it. Oh, really? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What's uh, the movie? What's the Leonardo DiCaprio movie? The Revenant. Revenant. Oh, yeah. So The Revenant, it's interesting to me that that movie was really sold on Leonardo DiCaprio fights a bear. But when you Mm -hmm. watch the film, it's really about the colonization and the industrialization of America seen through a white man's eyes. However, the white man, because he had a child with an indigenous person, in this case, the way that I saw it was supposed to be the indigenous person. But in watching that, the silent understory of how fur trapping, industrialization really fucked so many Native people. And also Mm -hmm. when you see the side stories and you see like these white men just like raping these women and just like the subtleties that to me, I was just like, this is what this movie is actually about. But you can't say that because that doesn't sell. Mm -hmm. You have to say that it's about this, you know, whatever. But that to me opened my eyes to um, the true and like beginnings of the industrialization in this in this country. And they even have these crazy imagery of like these mountains of skulls of like all the animals that they killed oh yeah that's like a very popular imagery when they completely decimated the buffalo population as well yes Uh, we're very proud of that (laughs) (laughs) they were very proud of it (laughs) yes yes so since we're talking about textiles i would love to speak with you a little bit more about the textiles that you choose to use and why because i learned so much on your website, specifically about wool, which I think is so dope. And I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your choice to use wool and your choice to work with um, Pendleton fabrics and all of like the incredible things that wool does for our environment. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, my the main uh, fiber that I like to use in my work is wool. Um, I think wool is like the most magical fiber. Um, We also have traditional use for it. I mean, we used to uh, make blankets from um, wool dogs, like woolen dogs. They're called Salish wool dogs. They're they're no longer alive. Um, But it was just they were picking the hair off of them in order to weave these blankets. They wouldn't like kill them. And then we would collect mountain goat um, wool also. And in order mm-hmm. to make blankets from that, which is really, really time consuming, which is why blankets have always been a symbol of um, class, because mm. uh, it's something that was so, so, so time consuming. So blankets are a really popular part of like the visual culture. Um, and then when the Hudson's Bay Company came, it became um, more likely used in order to be traded or sold. Um, and it still was a status symbol, especially based on the dye batch that you would that you would get or anything like that. So. So I love the history of wool. I also grew up just like surrounded by wool blankets, um, which is like really common in most native houses. And, uh, you know, we would get wool blankets from like raffles at powwow or, you know, I was gifted my first blanket when I graduated high school um, for my father gave me my my first blanket. Um, so it's always something that is, um, you know, like traditionally important to us. Uh, so, so I really want to use, uh, wool in my designs, not only because of that significance, but also because wool is, uh, renewable and regenerative fiber. Um, and I use a lot of cradle to cradle fibers, um, which is my eco-wise wool, which I do get from the Pendleton Woolen Mills, um, on the Northwest. 
Um, so Cradle to Cradle is a product that remains like continuously uh, in circulation where there's no waste. So instead of just cradle to grave, it's a renewable fiber. So it continues instead of creating poison to the soil, it creates nutrients for the soil. Um, so that's something that is really important to me as a designer. I like to think about the pieces that I do as something from creation to biodegradation mm. um, and not just think about putting it on a celebrity or whatever, you know, or whatever this draw to like this fast fashion thing is. Um, so wool is also, um, let's see, I don't know. I did. It helps regulate the humidity. Um, it absorbs like a third of its own weight without feeling wet. It's really funny. If you put wool in plastic, uh, you'll open the plastic and it will be totally wet inside. It's like really gross. So I also don't ship with plastic. I only use brown paper. Mm. Um, mm. So let's see. It also promotes better air quality. It's better like a basically air filtration for your house. I don't know. Wow. I think it's like the most magical fiber. And also we're not like decimating animals to use it. So that's a very good point. Yeah. Wait, and also wool, um, does it absorb formaldehyde? Oh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I wouldn't. <laughs> I, I know it. I know. I know it. I know it absorbs like contaminants in the air. But I've never I, heard that, but yeah, that I know that it like absorbs contaminants. So sure, that's awesome. <laughs> well, do you know what's also interesting about that is you know I love hats and especially during the summer because I, I really don't do well in the heat at all. So I'm just constantly trying to figure out how to keep myself cool. And I didn't understand why felt hats like were a thing. Like why people, especially in the south would wear like these felt wool hats. And this makes perfect sense because it actually pulls the the sweat off of you, even yeah. though it feels kind of warm. Yeah, it wicks moisture. And then that's my favorite thing about wearing wool. I think it's really multi-seasonal, but also yeah. like in the, I'm like, I run hot. I run super hot. I'm from the Northwest. And so like this kind of humidity, I still, my body cannot get used to it. Um, but I, like wearing wool in the, in the winter time, like, and especially with like a cotton, um, lining, it's like the best feeling. Cause you don't get all sweaty and gross and like trapped in your polyester jacket, you know? I hate polyester. I hate polyester. I fucking I hate polyester more than anything. I My goal in life is to have only like natural fibers on my body at some yeah. point because it's just, it's... Uh, I yeah I run hot also I sweat a ton I'm just like always oh, it clammy makes me smell. And so it makes me stink exactly and then I realize like yeah when you you when I'm wearing more natural fibers it's like it's more breathable but then also like the stink doesn't stink to me also I can wash the stink out like <sighs> it's not all yeah, the stink. I, I, <laughs> tell us more I agree it's there's something about getting older that like I cannot wear synthetics it's mm -hmm. just like I mm -hmm. I ugh. yeah yeah they feel yeah. uncomfortable to me too now also I feel like I don't know. Polyester especially doesn't feel good on my skin. If I look at the tag and anything, if I'm buying something and it has polyester oh, in it, yeah. I refuse. Especially if it's over $100, bitch. What am I paying for? Plastic? Sorry, I get oh. very frustrated. <laughs> yeah, I saw uh, uh, Oscar Dale. Can I? I don't know. I don't mean a very high-end designer gown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I won't finish that. But it was like $8,000 and it was made from like nylon. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's wild. I was just going to say that I really love wool. Like I have a bunch of wool socks and it's, yeah, in the winter, I found like if I wore thick socks that were of other material, they would just, I don't know, my feet would feel sweaty. They would smell when I wear wool socks. They just, I don't know, they're perfect. They're never really sweaty. 
I feel like they don't really smell at the end of the day. I don't know. It's kind of life changing. I didn't start wearing wool socks until I was like in my 30s because I didn't know. I have to start making socks with that pitch. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. OK. So speaking of you making making things, I this is one of the other reasons that I was really interested to speak with you is because we were talking with our producer about textiles and about weaving. And this kind of got me down the rabbit hole of just like ain't like these ancient wefts and weaving and all of these things. And I didn't, and this is so stupid, but it's the year 2023 is I never thought about what it takes to take a piece of fiber from that and turn it into like an object of clothing. And so I imagine that weaving is a lot of your culture and your heritage also. And also, even when you're talking about blankets, like that blankets are this treasured thing that made sense. I was like, yeah, because they are taking the actual raw material turning it into something that can be woven, figuring out how to weave it and like creating this masterpiece. So I don't know, is any thoughts, <laughs> anything you'd like to speak about like that? <laughs> like specifically, I guess, about the importance of passing on traditions. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I mean, that's really, it's really, it's so loaded to talk about that kind of stuff. I, I'm not, I'm not trained as like a traditional weaver at all. I would never um, speak to that in, in that way. Um, there are people in my tribe who live on the lands. Um, I obviously don't live in my homelands. Um, I'm a city girl. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I, it is really, really um, important in our cultures. It's something that was lost. Um, Oh, no, we didn't lose it. No, it was taken away from us. Right, <laughs> okay. right. There's that um, word. It was Stolen. it was taken. Yeah, it was <laughs> taken away. Um, and so now uh, our generation right now, uh, it's so freaking cool to see it. Like people are bringing back their languages and like traditional teachings and all this stuff. And like I just did the Santa Fe Indian Market uh, and I worked with my friend Tiffany Vanderhoop, who is uh, Haida and Wampanoag. And she is uh, a jewelry designer who's bringing back uh, traditional weavings. And I got to sit with her and she talked to me a little bit about the way that they were bringing back the weavings, that they would really go to these like ancient textiles and deconstruct them in order to learn how they were weaving them originally. Wow. And so then that's like one way that is being learned and taught and passed down. Another way is like um i i had the honor of working with aileen sparrow whose mother is deborah sparrow who are really important to coast salish weaving their family is like one of the biggest proponents of bringing back coast salish weaving traditional coast salish weaving so it's really coming back you know and it's so amazing to see all these like reinvigorations of these kinds of things that we can do now because um you know it's like legal and we're not getting killed for it so it's just really really inspiring to see all the people who are working to bring back these traditions. It's so incredible because like I just said, you know, I kind of feel like this with my food also, like I'm privileged enough to be so separated from like the act of actually like raising and killing my food than to like, you know, the chicken breast in the refrigerator that I have no concept of what that looks like. And it's the same thing with clothing. Like I really didn't even think like, yeah, how does this go from being cotton to being something that you can wear? You don't just iron it down and it like magically <laughs> becomes one. So one is like, thank you so much for doing the work to bring light to these things. But, you know, these are crafts. It's art. It's art. And art has so much wrapped in it. It has culture. It has stories. It has like who we are. It has like the earth. And it's so awesome that you and your uh, contemporaries are really working to like remind us and, and bring light. Not even remind us, tell us because we don't know. Yeah, it's so true. I really believe artists are storytellers. You know, I think that's mm -hmm. what the point is. <laughs> Yeah, 
Oh, it's so beautiful. I always loved, because I grew up on Long Island, we learn we learn a lot about different tribes, especially the ones who were present on Long Island. And I do feel mm-hmm. like, especially being from there, that we maybe learned about it more in school than other people did. Well, come to find out some people didn't learn at all, didn't even know that your people existed. Yeah, I think we had like one paragraph. Yeah, like that's insane. We did like whole, I feel like every year in elementary school, we had like a whole, I don't know, we'd have like a week about it. And which I appreciate, but just like, I don't know, obviously so much was left out and makes me sad. Yeah, a week. (laughs) Yeah, a week. A week. When I start to think about history, right? We think about history and all we know is European history. But mm-hmm. there are thousands of years before that. Like when we're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, like medieval history or or um, whatever, anything from medieval history to current times is really modern history. The United States wasn't even, quote unquote, discovered then, which means that there were people that were here for hundreds, for thousands of years that had their own history, that had their own languages, that had so much culture that we know nothing about. We just know from like yesterday. And mm-hmm. that is wild. I'm telling you things that you already know, Karina. I'm sorry. But <laughs> it's just like, I sort of just like came to this realization, you know, and like the great awakening, yeah. right? Like all of us waking up and being like, wait, we were all taught this bullshit, but mm. there's so much more because when you look around, especially in New York, when I look around, I don't just see white faces. I don't just see bodies that look the same as mine. I see like every rainbow. I see so many different bodies, so many different faces, and we all fucking came from somewhere. Mm-hmm. So like where? Because <laughs> mm-hmm. we only found we only heard about one, please. Yeah, I love. Jeez, I, I love New York so much, and I tell my family this. I'm like, my favorite thing is that I walk down the street and rarely hear English. Mm-hmm. Like, and That's I just true. I I feel like I live I live in Flatbush. I feel like I live in a utopia. Mm-hmm. You know, like everybody's different. Mm-hmm. Everybody just like we we're all just like waving at each. other. It's like a family neighborhood. You know. Yeah, And like, I I, I just, I love it so much. And that's one thing that I think was really important for me to get away from the Northwest um, and come here is that I learned so much about so many different people and about different ways of living and, and just like really, really learning to like accept and acknowledge people. Um, You know, it's like, I don't have to know everything. I don't, I don't need to, but just for us to live together and, and support each other is so important as a community, even in as diverse of a community as Brooklyn. And those are kind of the teachings that you can take back home later in life too, you know? Totally. I love our city. I love our city and I love that you're in Flatbush. I was like, neighbors, hey, and definitely coming to the studio soon. Okay. Will you speak a little bit on like some of the barriers to entry into the fashion industry for other minorities? Because something that is really incredible to me is like there's one thing to make clothes and there's another thing to be a fashion designer. And there's another thing to be accepted within the greater fashion design community to be accepted within, you know, the uh, the fashion. What is it? The fashion FD, FDC, CFDA. CFDA, thank you. <laughs> Fucking letters. We're going to say the FDIC. <laughs> I didn't even know. The CFDA. Like, these are three different levels of, like, quote unquote, making it. And I, I'm just so inspired that you are at, like, the top level of, you know, like, fast, true fashion as an art form within this country. You're making a face, but girl, you're at the Met. You're in the cut. Like, you are presenting in fashion week. It's a big fucking deal. These are huge deals. This is incredible. And I was like, this bitch is one year older than me. And and also, you're doing it on your own terms. You're doing it as an indigenous designer who is speaking out against 
you know, true atrocities. And that's not easy. There's a reason that you're the only one that's being heard. You know what I mean? Nobody wants to hear this. So I think that that's really fucking awesome. Would you just kind of speak a little bit about, you know, the different barriers to entry to prevent people like you from making it to where you are? Um, Yeah, I think the barriers to entry are just innumerable (laughs) Um, for people. I, you know, I'm really privileged in the way like I grew up in a city and um, I had an opportunity to come to New York. My parents have jobs. um, I have all my parents, you know, they support me with like high fives, not really financially. (laughs) (laughs) Just as important, if not more so. (laughs) I can relate. (laughs) It is, you know, like they were at my show in Santa Fe, my dad and, and my mom came to my show in Toronto. And so those all put me so far ahead of like a kid maybe that's on the res or something like that or has grown up in a different situation and one thing that I realized will never change in the society that we live in today is that money is all that matters um, when it comes to trying to start your business or do any of this stuff if you have money Mm -hmm. you are worlds and worlds and worlds ahead of people who don't. And I see this in like people I've worked with before who the first camera they bought is the most expensive camera that you can get where like another kid will work 10 years just to afford that. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about the timelines and the, and we're talking about our ages or whatever, and like where we should be at a certain age, it's completely different for each person. And it's all based on on, you know, like whatever random factors. But I think like just as far as indigenous representation in the fashion industry, there was none when I was growing up. So I tried so hard to fit into a mold that was like uh, this European male, you know, mold, but because that's all I saw in the magazines. And, um, And then I just, it took me so long to realize that the only way that my work will have significance and importance is if it comes from me and my stories um, Mm -hmm. that I'm not trying to fit into somebody else's mold anymore. And as soon as I realized that, like, literally, like, fuck it, I'm doing what I want is when all this stuff started happening and people started paying attention to what I was doing. And I've always been quite political in my work. Um, I've always spoke truth to power in my work. Um, I've had friends tell me I would be more successful if I was less political. I've had people ask me how tight are my morals on ethical labor if they Mm. wanted to start something and, and wanted my help. You know, I've had so much of this overarching thing of like these people see fashion and think that if you're a designer, you automatically have money or they think if you have followers, you automatically have money. And like, I have all Mm -hmm. these successes and the problem is that they're visual successes and I'm so proud of them. But the flip side to that is that I live in capitalism and working as a sustainable designer where I literally do everything myself is not conducive to surviving in this world because we're so obsessed with hustle culture here. And I work so hard every single day, but it's not all just selling products to people and selling garbage to people in order to continue to build myself up. And one thing that I always say is that the detriment of many is not worth the success of one. And the entire fashion industry is built on exploitation of labor and resource extraction. So it's beyond difficult to to become like a part of this industry. And it's so funny that you brought up CFDA because um, I really do like to push back against these institutions who I um, 
think are just really missing growth or whatever by including indigenous designers. Um, CFDA had us come on and do some panel event. And I said uh, in the event that I think the CFDA just realized that we still exist in 2022 <laughs> is that the Council of Fashion Designers of America has no indigenous representation and never has. Wow. Anna Wintour's fucking Bob just went flying. Yeah, but, but it's like when you're growing up and you think this isn't right, this isn't right. You know what I mean? And then you're like, that's dumb. That's and then you're like, wait a minute, I can actually say something. And if I have the opportunity to, I'm going to say something. And I've said before, you know, I get invited to these very bougie rooms or all this like fancy stuff. Um, and I have no interest in making people feel comfortable. You know, I really want to create something and if it's not a financial success, then I hope I leave some other kind of legacy behind me. And I hope it's more than just clothes and shoes. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda, whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. You're in such a unique position and it's fucking awesome that you've taken it kind of like into your own hands. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you could just kind of go with the flow. You could. It would be easier, right? Like, yeah, but you're not. And I really respect that. Yeah. Thank you. I actually just got kicked out of a millionaire's party. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Like, oh, my okay. God. That is an accomplishment. It's just like not who I want to be around. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not going to kiss somebody's feet. And just because they have money, I just don't think that that is a, something that makes you better than me or this person or this person. OK, so here's the thing that is so interesting with the arts, right, is that art is created by the outsiders. Art is created by people who are looking at society and they have something to say about it. And the people who collect art are the people that we're talking shit about because they've got the money. And mm -hmm. so art wouldn't exist without people like you. And I think that that's what's the most interesting is that they want you. I'm speaking out of turn, maybe, but they want you in their crew because you are rocking the boat. You're making things interesting. You're making people think. And that's what makes art. So I love 
that you're continuing to push forward because that's what pushes the culture forward. That's what makes things cool. That's what makes things art. And since we're talking about that now, let's talk about fast fashion, because I think that this is one and the same, right? It's this idea of taking something that is that somebody put so much thought into to create an idea, to create a vibe, let's say, and then enough people pick up on the vibe that it becomes a moment. But then once it gets too far and the moment's lost, fast fashion comes in, Shein comes in, Zara comes in. I don't know if I think that Forever 21 went bankrupt, but they come in and they take this idea that once meant so much and they turn into nothing. And then that nothing gets piled into garbage bags and it's destroying our earth. So I would kind of love if we can kind of talk about both of these ideas, maybe in one or if I'm being a little bit too meta. But I think that they're I think that they're very much the same idea. Yeah, I think it is. It's so interesting. Well, one, fast fashion is a huge um, perpetrator of stealing um, designs from small artists. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, we don't have the power to do anything to fight it. Um, That's something that happens all the time. Um, I'm 37 years old. I remember before fast fashion, right? I remember when Forever 21 came into the mall where I grew up Mm -hmm. and like how exciting it was. And it's just so interesting that we continue to think that we've created this world that we cannot change when fast fashion hasn't really been around that long. Mm -hmm. And we have to change what we're doing because it is so, so detrimental, not only to the environment, but to us as human beings. The U.S. itself throws away 11.3 million tons of textile waste every year. 11.3 million tons of textile waste. I fucking believe it. Everything everyone buys is just Mm -hmm. disposable. It's a statistic that 2,150 pieces of clothing are thrown away each second. Oh, my God. uh, You know, thanks to the Marie Kondos of the world (laughs) telling everybody (laughs) to just clear out their closets and throw it all away or whatever. Oh, my God. But yeah. And then, you know, speaking back to synthetic fabrics, when we covered that a lot, you know, Synthetic fabrics are totally made from, they're the super user of fossil fuels, which Mm, is like mm -hmm. the worst thing. Mm -hmm. Um, So anything that you have in a store that's acrylic, nylon, polyester, spandex, any of those things are all made from fossil fuels. Oh no, so much spandex. It's crazy. And, but the entire story is just nuts. So like the fashion industry now accounts for about 10% of like our total carbon emissions. Um, which is a lot, 10%, 10%, 10%, which is more than the entire airline industry combined. Oh my God. And the entire, and the entire shipping industry combined. So we, the fashion industry, which is the second largest industry in the world is producing 10% of global carbon emissions. And that's all for the like global West consumption, right? Oh my God. It's sick. Sorry. I didn't hear these stats before. This is very upsetting. I love fashion. Oh, it's insane. I'm obsessed with fashion. I love it so much. But I mean, obviously, right? <laughs> you literally dedicated <laughs> your life. <laughs> I know. It's it's a wild. Uh, so like, but okay. So also like textile um, production is, uh, I think it's responsible for 20% of global clean water pollution. So, and that's just from like dying and finishing products and, and also 20%. washing synthetic materials in um, water. So which all end up in our ocean, which are now like inside of our bodies. 
Oh my God. Because if we eat anything that comes from the ocean, now it's internalized. But the thing that's so, so, so wild about this is like we as human beings created this monster Mm -hmm. because we wanted to make the luxury of fashion, which was only afforded by a few, which is a very exclusive thing into something that was for the people, right? So Mm -hmm. that's how fast fashion became so prevalent but it it just took off into this place now where the, it feels like there's no return and we're literally drowning in our own clothes. And and I, as much as I am hopeful that it is changing, companies like Shine or Shin or however you pronounce it are absolutely detrimental to us. They are creating like 5,000 new styles a day. Oh my God. The hell? One of my best friends has a kid that's 14 and he comes to work with me sometimes and hang out in the studio and talks to me about high school where it's all about micro trends, how something will Mm -hmm. be popular for a week and then nobody will wear it again. And it's all because these markets, these fast fashion markets are targeting these kids at prices that they can afford. So they know that they'll continue to make money because if they can price something for five dollars a high school kid can afford it and if you think about tracking that back to the price of the materials the cost how much do you think the cost of labor is coming if you are buying something in the global west that was made in the east that's coming to you all the way from like bangladesh or whatever Mm -hmm. and you buy it for five dollars that's not uh, fair labor. It's not sustainable. No part of it is sustainable. Mm-mm. I mean, I was wow. just thinking, like, as you were saying that, how it's all just like a fucked up cycle because it's like, mm-hmm. you know, I think of like, I shop a lot secondhand, like whether it's for furniture, whether it's for clothes. And I started doing that in high school just because that's what was affordable to me. And mm-hmm. I just kind of stuck with it because also in my 20s, that's what was affordable to me. Like, mm-hmm. I remember a dress from Forever 21 was still more than I could really spend. Because mm-hmm. yeah. it's still not cheap. It's still like Forever 21, it would still be like 50 bucks for a sweater, which is like not a, right. a shit ton comparatively, but it's not nothing either. Mm-hmm. Totally. And especially being young, like paying rent for the first time, like I, that was a luxury. So I stuck with buying secondhand stuff and you know, moving to Brooklyn, it was actually easy. We have great stores to buy secondhand clothes. And it wasn't until I was a little older that I realized like, oh, not only is this like good for me and my like money situation, but it's really sustainable because Mm -hmm. maybe in my later 20s, I started learning about brands that were not fast fashion. However, it wasn't something I could afford. And of course, Mm -hmm. I understand the high price points, um, but that's also the fucked up cycle that we're in. You know, like most people cannot comfortably afford those items. What I try to do now is I'll still shop secondhand and then, you know, save up and kind of be like, okay, what's like the one, you know, piece that I'll buy this season or something that's maybe a dress from a brand that is super sustainable. And I try to do my research because I know some brands claim to be Mm -hmm. sustainable and they're not. And they're still really expensive. (laughs) Yeah, greenwashing is like absolutely mm -hmm. just taken off and because sustainability is now a marketing tactic. So it's the same with skincare. Oh, yeah. 
when I think about like the laws and stuff around skincare and beauty, I start freaking out. It's sick. Out. <laughs> it's wild. Specifically about what you're saying, vegan leather is a perfect example of greenwashing. You hear oh vegan God. leather and you mm-hmm. think that you're doing something good for the environment. It's, it's plastic. It's literally plastic. It's literally it's, plastic. Yeah. It's polyurethane. Yeah. Pleather. Remember pleather was a word yes. and then it got changed? Yes, to yeah. vegan leather. And do you know how yeah. much longer leather, real uh. leather will actually last? Like if you take care of it, real leather will actually last you a lifetime. Whereas vegan leather lasts you like one season if not yeah i buy secondhand leather purses that were made 40 years ago that are still in great shape like Mm -hmm. yes crazy i don't know it's all just fucked up and it all just comes back to the bigger picture of our country and the world i think okay so i want to talk to you about this first karina and see what your opinion is is Mm -hmm. and that's circular fashion Mm-hmm. So circular fashion is this idea of exactly what Alex is talking about. It's basically just thrifting, but it has a fancy, sexy new name. But companies like The Real Real, I love. Like I, I try the same as Alex, really hard to only buy clothes secondhand. And I really honestly only shop at The Real Real at this point. And when I tell people this, like, oh, I go in The Real Real, but it's still like an Hermes bag for $30,000. Bitch, I will tell you the secrets. Because you can <laughs> shop at The Real Real and still pay you know, um, fast fashion prices. Like I don't buy shirts for more than $20. All of my silk equipment shirts are $20 each. You just need to know how to use the site. So with that being said, the real real had some real bad press this week. (laughs) Wait, what happened? Well, it's just about how like selling through their site is such a pain in the ass, which is true. And it's a lot of it is like for the investors to get like the money, whatever. And not necessarily bad in terms of sustainability, more in terms of like the business end. But I'm curious, Mm -hmm. Karina, please don't break my heart. I want to know, is this truly a company that we can get behind? Are they secretly terrible? Because it is still fashion. It is still fashion. And because I also sell it back. Do you know what I mean? When I'm done with something, I sell it back to the real real and I like trade it in so that I continue to kind of like get a new influx of clothes. And I really, like I said, I try not to buy new. So if you have any thoughts, I would love to hear them. I mean, I love that. I love that mode. I also, you know, grew up only wearing thrifted clothes. Um, I'm also the youngest of three. So I'm very like comfortable with like the, the like secondhand idea. I can't speak to real, real like specifically, but I think that it kind of just goes back into this idea that once we kind of start really uh, like over consuming stuff, it becomes harmful. So maybe that's where the frustration is coming from for the sellers. Um, I actually used to work in high-end consignment back in the day. Uh, Shout out to Roundabout, who are in Connecticut and New York. Roundabout. That sounds familiar. Yeah, the real, real shut down a couple of our stores. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Yeah, because it was the first online consignment. So it was like such a big deal when it came out. Everybody was talking about it. Everybody moved their consignment to, you know, to do the online one. And then, yeah, I don't know. I use Poshmark. I don't know. Maybe that's old school. Well, same idea. I do, too. I kind of wonder, and I do use Poshmark, I use Depop, but I do try to be mindful of just wondering, like, okay, I'm buying secondhand, but these things are being shipped sometimes from across the country. And I'm like, what's the sustainability factor on that? You know, well, girl, compared to all of the waste, it's like at least you're getting something that's going to be like living. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but like we're humans. We've got to give ourselves grace. Do you know what I mean? Like you got to (laughs) live. We we can only do the best that we can do. Also, this is a part of their plan. (laughs) And by they, I mean the top 100 corporations in the world (laughs) is to put uh, all the pressure on us as individuals Yes, for things that they the are responsible for. It's not a don't worry about your shipping. You know, 10% of the global carbon emissions are from the fashion fashion industry more than shipping and airline combined. 
you, like, so all these things that we're beating ourselves up about thinking that we can't change it. The thing is, is that it's not our responsibility to change it. It is the top yes. 100 companies responsibility to change it. So we have to stop shaming each other for trying to just live and survive in a world that we're living in. So like, I would never get mad at somebody for buying something that they could afford. I would never say you can't shop there if it's the only store in like a hundred mile radius. They got to go to Walmart. I don't care. It's not about us. Yeah. It's about them. And how it's affecting us. Sorry, somebody else recently told me this and I forgot how true it is until you just said it because... Yes. Why am I worried about leaving my fucking outlet, my little thing plugged in? Because turns out that's so bad for the environment when exactly mm-hmm. Kylie Jenner's throwing, going in 30 minute fucking private jet things and the top 10 yeah. percent of people. You know, you're absolutely right. Like, Dude, let me live. They got us with the straws. <laughs> they got us with the fucking straws. Right. Yeah. I mean, all those things are important. You know, it's sure. all important, but it's definitely it's, yeah, it's bread and circuses. Right. They're like, oh, look over here. Well, we pour oil in the ocean and the ocean's on fire. It's now. crazy. They're like, we're going to distract everyone for a minimum of two months with the whole straw debacle. That'll be that'll get them <laughs> for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what that's one thing I also say. You know, we, we talk a lot about you cannot buy sustainability. So if people are trying to sell you sustainability, that is just like the opposite yeah. of what sustainability is. And I say, Absolutely. I do not sell. I do not sell sustainability. My work, I work in sustainable practices and you can support that practice. But I'm not trying to sell you some sustainability. I choose to use sustainability in my work and you can support that. I love this. I love that. I used to live in a house with a bunch of people in Bushwick back when I was in my 20s. And we would organize once a month, uh, basically like a flea market, but it was a free market. And everyone would just bring stuff that they didn't want anymore. And we'd lay it out and people could take stuff for free. And we would do it with food. We would like dumpster food and all that stuff. And I'm not saying that that's like a perfect way to live in any way, but it felt really nice to like not have money as part of the scenario and to have like our own mini like trade economy. Yeah, Even if it was just once a month. Yeah, (laughs) it was so nice. We'd have um, services that were free. Also, like people would offer, you know, acupuncture or whatever, but it was just really cool. And I'm like, it can be done. You'd have to have literally everyone on board. Well, this is why community is so important. You know, one of the reasons I'm sure that we all love living in New York, you said it perfectly with the Flatbush, is like these tiny communities. And like from an outsider looking in, it just looks like we're a bunch of ants running around and everybody's in their own little life. But that's not true. It's like we all create these communities, whether it's physical, whether it's digital, whether it's two people, five people, a block and, and neighborhood. But like they're here. And that's why the city is so fucking awesome. And that's why it survived so many years. I always make this joke. You could be a racist, but if you're a New Yorker at the end of the day, bitch, you're my neighbor. You're like, let's get through this shit together. If somebody's coming after us, we forget everything else except that we're all New Yorkers. Let's link up. Let's go. And I can't really say that a lot about a lot of other cities. So I think that what you're saying is absolutely right, Alex, is it starts with like these small communities. It starts with like small groups of people doing these things that amount to bigger things. Rather than exactly what you're saying, these corporations making us feel like, oh, well, it's just on you. It's just on you. And really, it's on them. But if they're not going to do it, we can take some of the power back to do what we can. Yeah, I think it's so important to work as a community. And and I, you know, I would be nobody without my fashion community and the indigenous fashion community here in New York. Um, 
we support each other so much outside of just like giving each other paying for projects or whatever. Like my friend came and drove me to the airport when I was showing in Santa Fe to make sure that I had got all my bags there safely. You know, like like I like this idea of self-made doesn't exist. And and when you are really part of a community, that's when you will find the greatest success in your life when you are working together. Oh, my God. That's really fucking beautiful. I love that. With that, can we segue to talk a little bit about the Slow Factory? Yeah. Okay, so first I have to say that I walked past the the old Slow Factory office on... Um, Wood Point. Wood, Wood Point, Point, yes. Wood Point Road. And I would walk past this storefront and it said the Slow Factory and I would go to their website and they had... Like, or to their Instagram, they have like 300,000 followers, but I had no idea <laughs> what this company did. I, and then I started to look into it and I learned a little bit more about like Cece... Celine? Celine, yes. Mm-hmm. I think her Celine name is Celine. Cece Lines or something. Celine. And I just love it. And I loved also because she from what I understand, speaks a lot with the fashion community about the global South and about uh, sustainability and about social justice and climate justice. And a couple years ago, she was like, look, y'all be asking me for things and nobody supports me when it's time to come back. Vogue, you be asking me for shit. All y'all people be asking me for shit. It's done. I'm not giving it to you anymore, which Mm -hmm. I loved. I just thought it was so badass. (laughs) But I love that you're also you're part of this community. So will you speak to us a little bit about what the Slow Factory is and what your involvement with it is? Yeah, totally. Um, Slow Factory is a uh, nonprofit that transforms socially and environmentally harmful systems. And they design models that are um, good for the earth and good for the people. So it's uh, some slow factory always says that sustainability exists at the intersection of, uh, you know, climate and social justice. So uh, we also consider ourselves the, the, the global majority. Um, and I think like in the States and stuff, we're constantly called minorities and, and really like the people, people of color are the global majority. Um, so I think that there's a lot of empowering language in that, but it's all about regenerative design, education and materials innovation. And then also education is a big part of it as well um, in order for us to create equitable systems and also dismantle like this current white supremacist uh, extractive, exploitive, racist system that we're living in right now. So they're really cool. It's run by Celine Simon and Colin. And I linked up with them. They invited me to speak on a panel at Central St. Martin's in London, actually. Um, it was wow. the first time that I had ever been to London. So that was really exciting to get invited to that. And then that really kind of kicked off this desire to ask me to speak on these different platforms and whatever. So this was like really the first big platform that I was given. And I fully made everybody uncomfortable, I'm sure, because I was in (laughs) London talking as a person, like an indigenous First Nations person. So um, yeah, it was like super interesting. And for people who don't know, Central St. Martin's is one of the greatest, one of the best design schools in the world. It's like where Alexander McQueen went. It's it's up there. So that's mm-hmm. fucking dope as shit. But you were just yeah. there making people skin crawl. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Yeah. So then I've been working with them. I served on the board of directors there for a while. Um, I, I now step down from the board of directors just because my workload is getting uh, pretty intense. And then I also just really want to focus on my own projects. Um, And they're still working. We're still in communication. They still support my work and I support them. I I always will support them. They're so supportive. How many more times can I say support? (laughs) Anyway, 
But yeah, so th- so they're great. I totally recommend, you know, uh, donating to them. It's like a legit place. And I think they're currently working right now on building a school. Um, so I hope that we can continue to work together. And they offer a lot of free educational courses um, all the time. It's just such an awesome platform that is obviously run by people who really, one, have influence and power, but really give a shit. Just like really are dedicated to you know, all forms of oppression and social justice and climate justice and aren't afraid to speak up, especially when they're being told to shut the fuck up. Absolutely. Yeah. It's all about seeing the bigger picture. I think a lot of people are they put blinders on, you know, and it really is. Everything is connected. We are all related. All of Mm -hmm. us. I think that the same way that we look at like racism today, our generation and are just so aghast. And it was only, you know, within my I just found out that my aunt when she was a kid was traveling from New Jersey to New Orleans and had to change cars to the colored car when she was in Washington, D.C. as a seven-year-old, you know, and we like to think that these things were generations away. And this was my my aunt, my first aunt. And it wasn't that long ago. So anyway, I think that the next great travesty that our kids or our kids' kids are going to look at us and say, how did you allow this to happen, is just taking advantage of labor, exactly what you're saying. The mm-hmm. the obvious human atrocities that are happening for us all to walk around with a $1,000 computer in our pocket and mm-hmm. plastic <laughs> plastic spandex for, that costs $5. It, we're all aware that it's happening, but it's easy to pretend like it's not. And I know that that's going to be like our generation's great um, stain is that we allowed this to happen with blinders on for so long. So thank you and um, and the Slow Factory and, and the institutions like you that refuse to put blinders on, that refuse to allow us to stay comfortable. Truly. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, yeah, you're welcome, bitch. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I've had um, a difficult time, I think, you know, mentally and everything when when we're when we're, we sure. have access to this much information um, and you constantly feel like you have to be doing something, you have to be doing something, you're not doing enough. And, and it's exhausting. And I don't think, you know, as human beings, we're, our minds are supposed to be open to that much. And I also think, you know, it's so important for us to work locally and within our communities. So, so important to just put in the work locally. Totally. You know? Totally. I got to bring the free markets back. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You should, Shapiro. I, I just wrote that down because I think that idea is awesome. And I love like the clothing swap, but I'm trying to get rid of a bunch of crap in my apartment. So free market sounds great. I love this. I'll participate also. Yeah, we used to we did it at a couple locations, but we used to sometimes collaborate with um, uh, the St. Mark's Church. Because then they could coordinate like anything that wasn't taken to get donated. I feel like that's like another element. It's like, okay, whatever's left over, what do you do with that stuff? Yeah, totally. Other than that, I think it's a great concept. But anyway, before we let you go, I'd love to speak a little bit more about, you know, this is a beauty podcast and we really strive to empower our listeners and to speak about beauty and from non-traditional ways and from inner beauty, outer beauty, like ain't no planet. How can you be beautiful? Because bitch ain't no people. But um, I would love to speak a little bit about like fashion and self-expression and sort of like the beauty that each person can kind of find within themselves through maybe not just following these micro trends, maybe being, you know, yourself. Yeah, I think we need to insert more value into our clothing, uh, more individual style, more celebration, more creativity um instead of just following you know whatever the instagram or tiktok's telling you to wear 
um, I think self-expression is so important um, in fashion. And, and that's one reason like we would use it back back when our ancestors would use uh, our adornments in order to, um, you know, show how you were in relation to people. Um, and uh, so we still do that. You know, we still have like our subcultures or whatever, like, you know, like a band T-shirt that you're wearing. Another person knows like, oh, that person's cool. I love that band. So like all those things are so important. I And I freaking love fashion. I freaking love self-expression. I love getting dressed up. Mm-hmm. I love all of it. I love watching oh my God, drag right now is like my favorite art form. I am just like so obsessed with that. Like that kind of expression I think is so creative. And the way that that's kind of infiltrated into the mainstream is really interesting as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and also seeing all the trends from the, what they call it, the early aughts come back, which is wild mm-hmm. to me. Wild. You know? Like I'm like, yeah. oh, oh, low-rise jeans are back. Yay. Oh my God. Like, can we not do that, please? <laughs> <laughs> Even my husband has been pointing it out. He's like, why are those girls yeah. dressed like how like I remember girls dressing in middle school. I'm like, it's back, yeah. baby. I know. And not not even in like a, it's unattractive or whatever, but I think it was a really big contributor to like eating disorders back when we were younger, too. Is Hell the way fucking they- yeah. Yeah, they portrayed fashion mm-hmm. in, in that age was uh, really detrimental to our growing up, which is also why we're a little messed up. For sure. I thought you were going to say that's why we're all in therapy, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is like self-expression is so important to me as a designer as well is that, uh, you know, I realize now at the age that I am, I'm like full on auntie mode. Like yes. mm-hmm. I am no longer 21 years old. Like I am somebody to look up to or whatever. Um, and I work with a lot of models who are really young, you know, and one thing I always tell them, I said, one thing that you're not allowed to do in any of my spaces is say something bad about yourself. Mm. I just like do not allow it. And I think um, I really want everybody to celebrate themselves and who they are. And I always really like when people bring their own personal style out through the clothing. So like in the last runway show I did, you know, we got to play with a lot of the people's own personal items um, so that they felt comfortable being themselves. And everybody was like, I felt like I was myself, but just like really, you know, powerful. And that's Mm -hmm. how I want people to feel when they're wearing my clothes. I don't, I'm not trying to turn you into something else. I'm trying to make you feel awesome as who you are. Yes. Yes. That's what we're always trying to say. You're like a little angel. No, I'm not. I'm really not. That's so nice. (laughs) I love how how fast you're just like, no, that is not me. I'm like, I needed you when I was young. I would see that. I I did too, right? Like I said, there were no indigenous designers like uh, this. So I'm literally like, oh, shit, I'm creating a roadmap. Like I have a huge responsibility here. It's not just about Mm -hmm. me. And so like when I see myself through somebody else's eyes, I understand my responsibility. And that's honestly the only thing that makes me take care of myself. You know, it's tough. Wow. I'm getting so emotional yeah. listening to you say that because you know. it's everything that you're saying is so true. And like, it's true. Visibility is so important. It's like you have to see people to understand that you can become. And especially like as a person who like they're trying they, right? Like they're constantly mm-hmm. trying to tell us that we're not enough, that we're not good enough, that we're not beautiful, that we're not worthy, that we don't belong to take, like that we don't deserve to take up space. And it's all a lie. And it's all a fucking yeah. lie. But you don't know that that's a lie until you see somebody that's so similar to you doing that shit. And it's just like, whoa, that's possible. <laughs> yeah. So like, thank you, dude. It's so important. Like people like yourself, it's important for you to be here and doing what you're doing. So thank you. Thank you so much. I'm 
I really appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. And now I'm going to have to save all my money to get your coat because I want it so bad. And I was going to get the mini skirt because it's a little bit less, but now I want the coat. <laughs> so I'm going to do it. It's going to be a Christmas present, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Holidays coming up. <laughs> Holidays are coming up. Not Girl, not even asking for a discount. I want you to have all my monies. I'm like, do you want to mark it you. up a little bit? Yes. Normalize paying for your friend's work. <laughs> yes, dude. Honestly. On, like that Fucking helps. for yes. real. Honestly. Honestly. So I will be putting up maybe a GoFundMe if anybody wants. To contribute to this beautiful <laughs> coat that I'll be buying. <laughs> Just kidding. Kevin and Sharice will help me out. Ah, this was so fucking awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out best. with us and for sharing your story. Um, will you tell our listeners how they can find you, how they can support you, all of the whatever you'd like to share with everybody? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I have a website um, that you can buy stuff off of. It's at emmystudios.com. It's E M M E. E-S-T-U-D-I-O-S dot com. And then I also, um, I'm like pretty active on Instagram. So it's at Karina Emmerich, which you can probably see in the little thing below that says my name um, mm-hmm. on the podcast thing. And then um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> the I don't thing. use TikTok. I don't understand it yet. And that's it. Yeah. Hey baddies, what did you guys think of Karina? Yeah, what did you think? She's fucking dope as shit. I'm obsessed with her. I really, like I said, she's in a very unique position, but also has taken a very unique stance because, like I said, she could have just rolled into all of this and just rolled with it. Like that's the easier path usually is to like not make a fuss, not cause a ruckus. And she's just like, no, fuck that. And is doing what she feels is important. And I really, I just respect her a lot for that. And I like that she's getting kicked out of places. I love that she's getting kicked out of places. And that she's making people uncomfortable because that means you're educating people because you're telling them shit they didn't know that they don't like, but it's a fucking part of history and that's just how it goes. So I think we're just very much so on the same page with how we feel about the world in general and like the current state of it. And I don't know. I just think that she is fucking great. And I really, really like, I know she's already doing great things, but it's only going to be like, just look out for her. That's all I'm saying. Just look, she's going to be here for a while. And I hate when people are like disrupting an industry, but she's disrupting. Do you know what we didn't even mention is that one of her pieces was actually worn by uh, the U.S. Secretary of Interior, Deb Haaland, um, and she is the first Native cabinet member. And this was on the cover of InStyle magazine. Fucking incredible. That's fucking awesome. Fucking awesome. Um, yeah, she's also has been in Vogue. She's been in Elle. She's been in C- on CNN. The girl, I mean, she's been in all of the places. She was in The Cut, which we spoke about that article a few times, but she's just so awesome. And she's, yeah, just keep looking out for her. Alex is absolutely correct. She's going to be everywhere very soon. She already is. Mm -hmm. She already kind of is. I know. Um, So with that, Shapiro, you want to talk about our beauty baddie moments of the week? Yeah. So our beauty baddie moment of the week is where we recap a moment during the week that we felt beautiful in a non-traditional way. These can be moments of growth, moments of self-care, moments of happiness, whatever. You can record us a voicemail if you'd like with your beauty baddie moment of the week at 866-6-BADDY. So I'll go first. 
My beauty baddie moment of the week is that I've always been comfortable like doing things by myself, but I'm trying to like do it and enjoy it and just little things like I got a drink by myself last night. I've been thinking about going on just like a very short, easy hike by myself. I did do it once before and I survived. And I don't know. I think it's just really important to feel comfortable doing things alone. I feel for like the better part of my 20s, that was just not even an option. Like the thought of going to like eat alone or have a drink alone, I'd be like mortified. Mm -hmm. And I like spending time with myself. And the more that my friends get pregnant and stuff, (laughs) it's like, yeah, I might have like a little more alone time. And I kind of like it. Well, you're great. You're a great person to spend time with. So I'm glad that you're loving spending time with yourself. Oh, that's sweet. I thought it was cheesy, but it's just, I don't know. Earlier in the summer, I went on a couple of bike rides alone, like long bike rides. And it was so nice. It's nice to also not have to like worry about another person. Yeah. Being with you. Totally. I don't think that's silly, Shapiro. I think it can be really comfortable being alone because if you're just left with yourself, then you're just left with yourself. And a lot of people use a lot of different ways to, you know, hide from themselves or cover up who they are or, you know, Mm -hmm. so I think it is important. It's important to be comfortable with just you because really at the end of the day, there's just you. So you got to love you. You can't even just like you. You got to love the fuck out of you. I agree. Do you have a beauty baddie moment of the week? My beauty baddie moment of the week is I have a family member that I love very, very much. And um, our relationship hasn't been great. And, you know, we took we both took steps to make it better and to have like a true, honest conversation with each other. And, yeah, I'm really happy about that. I love you know, that. I, I always talk about this like I. One of the main reasons I started therapy was because I wanted to work on all of the relationships in my life. And this was like a big Mm. one that I was kind of was just like, I'll deal with that one. I'll deal with it. And life uh, sometimes will force you to deal with shit. And so sure. fucking will. Right. It sure fucking will. Sure. Fucking will. Yeah, me too. It's a hard thing to do. Mm hmm. I think there's also this expectation of the relationships we're supposed to have with family members. Yes. Well, and it's also, you know, again, I always say this, like if you are uh, privileged, the hard part of life isn't life. The hard part of life is the emotional shit. It's like, you know, growth, dude, just growth is fucking hard. Yeah. It's hard to work on yourself and it's hard to be better. It's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Girl, uncomfortable. That's like, I mm-hmm. think is maybe our theme of this year, yours and mine. Is mm-hmm. being Getting comfortable being uncomfortable. Yeah. It's just like a part of life. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately. Yeah. And if you don't let it be a part of your life, it's like life's just going to go by. No, it's not even that, dude. Life is going to be miserable. If you don't allow it to become part of your life, yeah. you're just constantly getting hit by it. And you're just mm-hmm. constantly mad all the time because like, yeah, shit is wild. You can't control it. You got to just learn how to go through it. Yep. <sighs> anyway. It's the damn truth. Glad you're my bud, bud. We get to, you know, do all this shit together. It's cool. Yeah. Just be uncomfortable sometimes. Just be real it uncomfortable sucks. and look at each other and be like, everything's <laughs> OK, right? so it's fine everything's fine (laughs) you know what you guys could do i'm pretty sure that last week we just had a great listener letter episode and Mm -hmm. i we we love 
your fucking listener letters. They're the greatest. And they've honestly been getting better like the longer the show's been on because it's more like y'all just telling us about how great you're doing in life. And like, I adore yeah. that. We both do. So please we love it. send us and DM us your listener letters and also your beauty baddie moments of the week. We haven't really been getting that many of them. That y'all could do better no, you with. you should send. Please send. Please, please send. send. Please do. And your beauty baddie moment of the week can't be that I spoke with Alex and Elizabeth on our chat this week or on like my virtual consultation even though that's very nice it's very nice it's a little self-congratulatory for us to like you know read that that's the only reason but we appreciate you guys sending that in we love you so where can you send us this shit you can dm us on instagram (laughs) at the true (laughs) at true beauty brooklyn podcast or you can email us um at true beauty brooklyn podcast at gmail.com you can follow our personal instagram accounts i'm at the brown elizabeth taylor i'm at alex lindley You can make an in-person or virtual appointment at truebeautybrooklyn.com to hang with Elizabeth. Or you can make an in-person appointment with me, Alex, at cheekybrooklyn.com. That's it. That's it, guys. We'll see you later. Bye. See you next week. Bye. This has been a COCBK production produced by Elizabeth Taylor and Alex Shapiro. Mixed by BetaWave. Follow us on Instagram at True Beauty Brooklyn Podcast. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.